Welcome to Building Bridges, ACMCU's premier podcast where we discuss, debate, and examine contemporary issues facing Muslim-Christian relations in the United States and abroad. I'm your host, Andrew Condon, Digital Communications Manager for ACMCU. The Center for Muslim-Christian Understanding was founded in 1993 at Georgetown University with a mission to improve relations between the Muslim world and the West, building bridges of understanding between Islam and Christianity. In this program, we will speak to experts, faith leaders, authors, and influencers about how their work is shaping the discourse and fostering interfaith dialogue within their respective communities. Dr. Ronald Stockton is the founding director of the Michigan Committee on U.S.-Arab Relations. He is also a principal investigator on the Detroit Arab American Study, a study that produced a vast set of data sets and a team-authored book entitled Citizenship and Crisis, Arab Detroit After 9-11. Dr. Stockton gave a talk at ACMCU this past fall, entitled Muslim Gravestones in Detroit, a look at burial sites within the Detroit and Dearborn area, specific to Islamic burial customs and practices. Dr. Stockton joined us after his talk for this episode of Building Bridges. Welcome. Uh, Thanks for being on our little podcast here. Thanks. Just before we get started, could you please introduce yourself to our audience? I'm Ron Stockton. I'm a professor of political science at the University of Michigan-Dearborn. And you were here at ACMCU today giving a presentation on gravestones in the Detroit area of Michigan, most specifically in the Muslim community of Detroit, uh, Michigan. Why was that subject uh, a source of fascination for you? And was it specifically um, Muslim gravestones or cemeteries and gravestones and uh, you know, burial traditions in general? Uh, I've got a long-standing interest in graveyards, and um, I've written uh, a couple of articles on graveyards, and I've uh, written a book on my hometown graveyard, self-published, but uh, listing everybody in the graveyard and their history. I worked with a local person and uh, who knew those histories. So I've got a long-standing interest in this. I got interested in Muslim graves like 10 or 12 years ago. I started uh, trying to find every place with my, some of my Muslim students. We tried to find every place where Muslims are buried in southeast Michigan. We came up in the end with 31 different cemeteries or subsections. Some of these enormous urban cemeteries have different sections of, of, of Muslim graves. And uh, I found people from 25 different countries or, or regions and uh, from nine different religious or cultural sub-traditions. And, you know, if you, if you think in terms that Muslims are a, un, a unified group, they're not. They're, they all agree on the five pillars of the faith, etc. But in terms of their cultures and histories and dynamics and what they put on their gravestones, they're totally different from each other. I find that fascinating. I'm a political scientist. I'm interested in political and cultural groupings as, as political entities. But I found this uh, a, a remarkable uh, research to do. I've probably got 1,500 photos of different gravestones at this point. Wow. That's a lot of photographs. Now, did this start for you before it became a, a scholastic profession as a hobby? Yeah, I just kind of wandered around, and then I thought, you know, I should probably do something with this. And so I organized a uh, photo exhibit, which has now been shown in four different uh, four different venues, and I uh, organized lectures. This semester I'm teaching a, 
an honors tutorial on gravestones and monuments, and I, so I got that kind of um, a content in there, and I started taking students on graveyard walks, and we would go to these Muslim sections, and they found those, in some ways, the most fascinating part of the, of, of the walks. Why? Why would? Why is that? Just wondering why. Why did students find Muslim grave and burial sections the most interesting? Uh, you know, even Muslims say they didn't know this. A lot of Muslims just don't go to graves. I mean, you go to grandpa's grave or grandma's grave, but you just don't go to graveyards for any reason. It's it's you only do it on on occasion when there's when there is an actual burial, and some people don't even do that. And uh, so. To see the exceptional diversity, everybody grows up in their own little bubble, don't they? We all think the whole world is like us, which it isn't. And then you get out there, the non-Muslims say, this is amazing, I didn't have the slightest idea what Muslims did. And then the Muslims say, I didn't have the slightest idea that there were other people out there from outside of our little bubble. And so there's a, it's, a, um, it's revealing to everybody. They also learn from the other graves, too. We go to Jewish graves, and we go to uh, Civil War graves, and, and we go to... Uh, um, uh, other other ethnic groups, Hispanics and, and different groups, but uh, they found this 19th century Protestant sections. They're all very different, and you just see the astonishing diversity of this world in which we live when you go to a graveyard. So you talked about the showcase of diversity in graveyards. What would you say that a graveyard or a cemetery represents for a community beyond just the memory of those who have who have passed on are our graveyards and our cemeteries a part of a of a you know integral part of a community i tell you it's really different a gravestone as, as i've said these are not muslim graves they're not islamic graves they're muslim graves all muslims agree on the five pillars of the faith but Individuals express themselves in different ways, so they want different things. What does your gravestone say? This is your last effort to tell the world who you were, what was important to you, and how you want to be remembered. So some people want to be remembered by the fact that I'm an Albanian first, and we were Albanians long before we were Muslims or Christians. And um, other people want to be remembered as Bosnians, uh, other people want to be remembered as someone who served in the United States Army and fought for their country. Other people want to be remembered because they like fishing, and you'll see some you'll see a, a fishing a person sitting in a boat fishing. You know, people have different things. Uh, people want to be remembered according to their uh, according to their the fact that they had a happy marriage, and you'll see a husband and wife side by side, which is not something you would ever see in the Middle East. That's not something you would see overseas. It's very American custom. So as I say, people learn from their neighbors. They see something that they really like, and they say, well, let's do that ourselves. Um, I think something, we got a couple patterns that we've seen about burial. Most people just get buried in the, if you die, if you're from the Detroit area and you die, you get buried in a local cemetery. Some people get shipped back. They, they want their remains to go to their home village and, and be back there with their parents and grandparents. We've disco I've discovered a third pattern. I call it the virtual homeland. People from, people from other places Keokuk, Iowa, or whatever, who wants to be the only Muslim in a graveyard in Keokuk, Iowa. So they come back and get buried here. I see people that have no community. I see people, Nigerians, uh, uh, other people from, from different places who want to be buried here. And 
why did they want why who did these chinese people where did they come from you know they were not from a local community there's no organized community of azerbaijanis but people get buried here and i think it becomes a virtual homeland that is you return to a place where there is a Muslim community and you can be part of it. Some groups want their own subsections. There are four different Bangladeshi sections, four different ones representing different villages and sections. So at a certain point when you get a critical mass of people, they say, well, we're different from those other people. You know, the Selhetis and the Chittagong people, we're different, we're not the same, so we'll form our own little society. And uh, so it becomes endlessly fascinating to see how uh, these groups are working out their identity and what these uh, graves mean to them. Now, for those non-Muslim listeners, could you briefly run through some differences between Muslim and Christian burial customs, uh, just so that people can have some background? Burial customs are um, are, are distinctive. That I found it very fascinating that uh, Muslims and Jews have very similar customs. There's supposed to be body washing. They're supposed to be. There are people who wash the body. This is not done by undertakers typically. Um, you're supposed to be buried on the same day or the day after, if possible. You're supposed to be buried directly into the ground. Now, the simple fact is that that people comply with local laws. So, if they don't allow you to be buried in the ground, what will often happen is that the imam will sprinkle some dust over you in the casket. And that fulfills the obligation of being buried under the ground because for health reasons or whatever reasons, you can't be buried directly into the ground. I'm only aware of one place where they allow direct ground burials for one subgroup, the Dawoodi Bora, get that. I don't know why that is. But um, I talked to the head of that cemetery. They didn't know who made that decision or why. But uh, those, are the, those are the customs. In fact, what people do is... Uh, conform basically to local custom. As I say, we learned from our neighbors. So you'll have open casket burial. That's uh, And people do visitation. That's really different from the way it would be done in the old country where you come by and look at someone's uh, deceased body. You, you wouldn't do that. So people uh, uh, conform to local customs. They adapt to, uh, conform to local law. They adapt to local customs. And uh, um, that's in terms of burial customs. What you see now is a burial, the stones are very different. Uh, very often you'll see a passage, uh, you know, from Al-Fajr. There's a passage in the Quran called Al-Fajr the Dawn. And it says, if you're a righteous person, God has prepared a, uh, God has prepared a garden for you. You're welcome to God's garden. Well, we Christians have a similar saying, you know, that in, 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 in God's uh, heaven, there's many mansions, and, and it's the very same concept. It's just that, you know, if you're a righteous person, God's got a place for you. And so you see those, uh, those customs, which look really different if you're not familiar with, if you don't think comparatively, how really similar they are to what other religions do. So you discussed in your talk this idea of a death statement serving to show uh, Americanization of, of gravestones. Have any other elements of Muslim burial traditions evolved over time due to this Americanization or due to the cultural sharing that you talked about? There are uh, a couple of customs that are very American. I mean, you mentioned the uh, you'll see wedding rings and couples holding hands or pictures of the loving couple, you know, or it will say married, uh, you know, 38 years. And sometimes I've seen it says married, married 38 years by the grace of Allah. You know, which is like a, taking an American phrase that you would have seen 
and then adding an Islamic uh, component to that. So you see a lot of, of adaptations. We have what are called your death statements. Uh, those of us who study graveyards, it's a statement of the living for the dead. And it says, uh, we will miss you forever, you know, or dearest mom ever, or whatever it may say. You're now beginning to see those very American expressions on Muslim stones. And you'll sometimes see a joke. Uh, I saw on one, on one gravestone, a woman had written, uh, I exceeded my sell-by date. And I thought, okay, that is really funny, you know. I mean, people are going to come by and they're going to laugh at this for generations, you know. This woman made a made a joke about, uh, you know, bread being having a sell-by date. And uh, she's exceeded her sell-by date. So you see these adaptations that people, uh, people work out. So studying gravestones, studying uh, burial customs, I mean, this must take an emotional toll. Or is this something that, that you find to be not, you know, depressing, but, but joyful. I find it joyful because this is an affirmation of life. The gravestones are an affirmation of life. They're not about death at all. And very seldom does it even say why a person dies. Uh, once in a while, you'll find out, you know, one, I remember one stone, it says, uh, killed, killed by assassins. And I'm thinking, whoa, did, did the Yemeni government send an assassin in to kill this person? It's possible. Or maybe by assassins, he meant gangst robbers you know came in and shot me in my store i mean that but but usually you don't see that you know you'll see some really there's a there's a thing i saw um just earlier this summer i took one of my students out and we were walking around and she found this passage of a young woman who had died a young married woman and her husband had written this uh poignant farewell to her that you were young, you were beautiful, I loved you more than anything, there was nothing the doctors could do, we watched you die. And, you know, that, that is, uh, that just really tears your heart out when you see that. And, um, and then just uh, two weeks ago, I took a group of students, um, I'm teaching an honors tutorial on gravestones, and I, we went to visit one of the uh, Muslim graves, and uh, grave sections, and uh, my students came over and said, oh, professor, come over here, look at this. This, this woman and her four children were killed by her husband. And I was stunned because that husband was my student. And I remember when this happened, he, he was a very successful businessman and had made a lot of money, but then he started gambling and he, he lost it all. And he suddenly realized that he had lost his whole fortune and his family was going to be uh, expelled. And he went home and uh, killed his wife and then one by one killed his children and, and then uh, committed suicide, and he left a note behind. Well, when you see that, you know, it didn't say what had happened, but I recognized the name, and uh, it just hit me because I remember exactly when this happened, and I, he was a really great guy. I really liked him, and, uh, and then suddenly I heard this tragedy had happened, which just shook the local community, you can imagine. And uh, several of his uh, relatives were my uh, were my also my students, and in the Dearborn area, you got these families. Everybody knows everybody else in one way or the other, and so uh, you'll see those kinds of those kinds of things that really bring this home. But generally speaking, walking around is just a joyous thing because people are basically a gravestone is an affirmation of your life. It's not about death; it's about your life. Burial stones and, and graves and graveyards and cemeteries, they're often seen as a place of respite um, where people will go on walks or people will go 
uh, to spend time and reflect. Is this a custom that you've seen outside of the United States where people go to a graveyard to find a peaceful place? Or is that something that's rather westernized? That's a very good question. Um, well, I haven't studied overseas uh, graveyards, but I can tell you that in many places you just go there for, you. a Muslim goes to a grave to pray. So you'll see people come in, you'll see them standing there with their hands hands up, saying the Fatiha, the, the, the prayer, and, and then they will leave. And they're only, they've only been there like four minutes. And you wonder, what was the occasion? You go to a, uh, you go to a Mexican section where Mexicans are. They bring, uh, they bring tables, and chairs, and, and a picnic basket. And they sit there for two or three hours and drink beer and eat tacos and leave some behind for the, you know, their departed cousin or whoever it may be. Um, this idea of a graveyard as a place where you can just wander around and see for an afternoon. If you go to if you go to a place like Woodmere in Detroit, where there are uh, two hundred thousand plus graves, uh, it's it's what's called the rural cemetery tradition. This started in the eighteen forties in France, and then it spread quickly to this country. Woodmere was started, I think, in eighteen sixty one, maybe or so. It's those graveyards are laid out so there's nothing depressing. The, the the weeping angel, the mourning, uh, you don't see those. You don't see any break. It's supposed to look like countryside. Uh, when, when they were created, they were created on the outskirts of town. Previous cemeteries would be connected to a church or in the middle of town. They're very depressing places. You know, they had skulls on them. These, this tradition is different. It's supposed to be an uplifting place. Uh, and... And you go out there on a weekend, and you'll just see people walking around with their kids. Moms pushing, you'll see two moms pushing baby carriages, and they're just out enjoying themselves on a, on a pleasant, pleasant day. My wife and I go out there from time to time. This cemetery is two miles around. If you, if you walk all the way around the circle, it's two miles. It's a very nice walk. It's very beautiful. So it's a very different place. You definitely, it is intended that people come there for pleasure and there are benches sitting around so you can just sit and look out at the countryside those are not benches that are over graves they're benches for resting and relaxation and fun and people sometimes bring bring picnic baskets and just sit out in the graveyard so it's a very different and very pleasant uh a pleasant thing that you will see and yeah, I do wonder if that is that is an American customer. As you said, in France, they've done it. It started in France, but I think we Americans have done it really well. Uh, we have some family down in New Orleans. And I know in New Orleans, they do also have traditions that are similar, where you will go and visit a cemetery, and their gravestones are very elaborate, sometimes above ground, you know, ornate carvings and sculptures. And it's it's a creates a conversation, but also it, it evokes a sense of the past and, and how we can learn from the past. Looking at that, do you think that there that gravestones and and the uh, the messages that we can leave for our future generations will that continue or, or do you see that these more elaborate practices are being replaced with a very um, homogenous type of uh, burial and gravestones it's going both directions some some graveyards now require that the stones be flat on the ground that has nothing to do with style it has to do with maintenance costs so if you've, got a, if you've got a big stone standing up, you have to pay extra to have a stone standing up in some places. Uh, that's because it takes you, the, the cutters have to go around the stone and that takes more time. Um, 
in other places, though, there's the exact opposite. The ornate, highly million-dollar carvings that you see by original sculptors, those, those are limited. Uh, you don't see much of those anymore. That Victorian age of, of, of super wealthy people trying to impress how wealthy they are, uh, you sometimes see that, but not as much as in the past. And I understand that New York has just banned uh, mausoleums because they, they fall down after 100 years, they fall down. And so um, uh, those, those billionaires who wanted to have mausoleums, they're going to have to either get themselves their own graveyard or get a waiver or something. Um, but what you're seeing is an exceptional diversity. People are putting a lot of effort into stones and to making them unique and personalized. So in the past, you would see stones that were just largely not personalized. They, you had name, rank, and serial number, you know, and maybe a biblical passage, uh, you know, or something like, or a Quranic passage. And now you're getting very personalized stones of, of photographs of people, which in the past, those would have been defaced 70 or 80 years ago. Someone would have come out with a chisel and smashed those, those faces. And now you'll see even one imam has his uh, photograph on his grave, and nobody seems to be upset about that. And so I think there's multiple things going on, but, uh, but I just think that in 50 years, if people want to re redo this study, they're going to have plenty of data that I have uh, not had the opportunity to analyze. So uh, in conclusion, is, is there anything that, that perhaps you didn't get a chance to touch on that you'd like to talk about? When my grandkids were little, they grew up in graveyards. I took them to graveyards. My wife says when she was a little girl, her grandfather would take her to a graveyard. There was a graveyard near his house. They would prepare a lunch, and they would go over, and they would sit in the graveyard, and they would eat their sandwiches. And she has such wonderful, happy memories of this. And for my own reasons, when my grandkids got to be four or whatever they were, I would start walking around graveyards. And I would tell them, I would say, see that little lamb? That means there's a baby that died. And, and uh, see this and see that. They were, they were fascinated by this. And, uh, and there are people who say, uh, you know, graveyards are creepy and scary. I tell my students in my graveyards tutorial, if you'd like to flunk this class, all you have to do is use the words spooky or scary or creepy, and I will guarantee you at least a one-grade drop in your uh, final. Um, my grandkids don't see it that way. I remember my the first time I took my granddaughter, she was four, my littlest one, and she was just doing what four-year-olds do, being silly, you know, and I said, I said, Hannah, uh, we need to be respectful because there are people buried here. She says, what, there are people buried here? Dead people? I said, yes. And she said, ah. She looked kind of afraid. And I said, well, Hannah, there's nothing to worry about. Um, everybody dies. And she says, everybody dies? Am I going to die? And I said, yeah, but you won't die until you're older than I am. And well, she was reassured because I'm obviously 700 years old to a, to a four-year-old. So it was okay. And then just a year later, I took her back to the same graveyard. We were walking around, and she said to me, Grandpa, and I said, yes. She said, when you die, do you get to choose where you want to be buried? I said, well, sure. If you tell people, they'll bury you where you want to be buried. And she said, I want to be buried here because it is so pretty. And I thought, okay, this is a child who had a really deep, I mean, you know that she thought about that many times between those two visits. And she realized this is not this is a nice thing to go to this place. That's my final thought. Take, take kids to graveyards. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Okay, great. Thanks. 
Thank you for joining us on this episode of Building Bridges, brought to you by ACMCU. Follow us on Twitter at ACMCU and like our Facebook page at acmcu.georgetown. Feel free to submit any questions and tune in for upcoming episodes.